reputation is everything. Um, so it's it's always more than just about selling a house. It's it's about helping your clients get an investment that you would purchase yourself. It's about putting yourself in their shoes, uh, making every decision as if, it, as if it was your own, and putting the commission aside. And if you're just helping as many people as you can, the commissions will follow. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegi, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I've fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used Line Desk. I've used Conversion. And I think Follow-Up Boss gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple. And it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race of follow-up boss. Purely objective. Follow-up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Steph Heiser. And today I am so excited to interview Jonathan Dempsey from Pocono Pines, Pennsylvania. He's just outside of Philly and he's here to tell us all about niching down on short-term rentals, niche niche. I'm so sorry. I just, that word throws me off every time, but there's riches in niches. Niche works too. So tell me all about it. What's up, Jonathan? 
Hi, Stephanie. I am so excited to be on the, the Rockstars podcast today and uh, just get into the art of short-term rentals and how you can make your mark as an agent um, helping investors in the space. That's so awesome. When I started um, in February 2020, Joshua Tree was you know where I was living and it is a super, super hot short-term rental market. And it's been such a great microcosm to analyze how short-term rentals impact the market, how those clients can be really amazing clients because usually if they buy one, they buy five or 10. So what's it like in Pennsylvania? How, how did you get started in real estate? How long have you been licensed and what led you here? Yeah, sure. So I got licensed back in January of 2019. Um, not knowing that I was going to end up getting into short-term rentals. I originally came in from the frame of being a, a house hacker myself and wanting to help investors get into house hacking um, in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I think it's really interesting you were in Joshua Tree living there because that is really is its own world of short-term rentals. And the investors are just very different. Uh, I think short-term rental investors are much more creative and they're much more willing to, th to throw money at deals uh, so if you can identify who those investors are, um, they are able to scale a whole lot more quickly and keep moving on the rental properties that, that they have. And that's no different here in Pennsylvania. If you can get creative with your listings and get the cash flow there, you'll be able to keep repeating sales with investors. For sure. So you were house hacking, working with investors, and then um, did the short-term market just take off or how did that fall in your lap? Yeah, sure. So when I originally got my license, I was only looking to use it for my own purchases. I didn't know how deep into real estate I was going to end up getting into it. Um, Me my too. First, my first year as an agent, I only sold one house and it was to myself. Um, <laughs> now I've been in the business for, for four years. And last year I did 174000 in gross commissions. This year I'm on pace for 300000 uh, We still have a month and a half left. And I even have a team of agents now who are all on pace for... 50,000 each um, this year. So it's really cool to see them kind of prospering from, from everything that's going on. That's really, really amazing. It's so cool how real estate can change your life. So I'm assuming you've got to be a really good agent. What makes a good agent specifically for short-term rental investors? Yeah, sure. And I think this goes the same for house hacking or any type of niche that you want to get into. If you're going to be an agent and advocating for people to, to take out mortgages or to buy things with a ton of cash, you need to be doing that same thing yourself. Um, so as an investor myself, it's a lot easier to convince people of what a good purchase is versus a bad one because my money is where my mouth is. And I think that's going to hold true for any agent in any market. Um, if you're trying to get someone to buy in Joshua Tree, you live there so you can vouch for the market and what it's like. Um, it would be much harder for me to sell in that market. Yeah, well, I think a few years ago, probably you wouldn't have needed to know anything about Joshua Tree. You could have convinced anyone by there. I would say like my first year, so in 2020, I did a little bit over 50 houses and at least 85% of those were short-term rentals. And then now I... Um, expanded my market to the Sequoia National Park as well. So I'm so blessed to be between two national parks. And 
Up here, short-term rentals aren't as huge, but in Three Rivers near Sequoia National Park, the ROI is massive and it's not super saturated like Joshua Tree. But I've been fortunate to see how the regulations, like the over-regulation in Joshua Tree destroyed that market. And it would be amazing if that would have helped the local families afford housing and put a lot more on the market for them, but it didn't. It just crashed the short-term market. And then in Three Rivers, Visalia, Exeter, we're in Tulare County. All you need is a business license. It's about 80 bucks a year. You pay your TOT tax and you're golden. Like the regulation is pretty much non-existent. And it's really helped, I think, stabilize our market and it hasn't had a huge crash. It never drove up our prices. How has it been in Philadelphia? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, they're actually about to impose restrictions that are going to be in effect January 1st, which is one reason I, I made a heavy pivot from the Philadelphia market where we started doing short-term rentals and, and having investors purchase uh, to the Poconos, which is a more traditional vacation market in Pennsylvania. And regulations are something that are always talked about in short-term rentals and I think are a, a key advantage as an agent to know about. Um, so for our market here, uh, there's different HOAs that allow short-term rentals. There are different townships that allow them. There are other ones that don't allow it at all. So for an investor who's looking to get into short-term rentals and if they're just picking around on Zillow, they might be finding options that aren't legal. So when you can act as a resource to them and really know the market well, um, and be able to tell them, okay, the second you see a house, you know if it's legal, illegal, you know all about uh, the HOA, the township, the restrictions they put in. Because here, the, the restrictions could be anything. It could be not allowed. It could be allowed for a minimum certain of nights. Um, there could be fees on, tacked on to every stay. Um, there could be a limit to the number of people per bedroom. So there, there are just so many things to navigate in the, in the market. Um, and just knowing all of that as the real estate agent helping the investor, you can really put yourself ahead of, of someone else who's not as familiar. That's a really great point. I print out the short-term rental regulations. Like I print out, I mean, it's a really thick stack of paper and I give that to all of my clients that are, especially if they're new, like if they bought their fifth short-term rental in the market, then I make sure, um, I have the updated versions for them in case anything has changed, but usually savvy investors will be on top of this themselves, but you absolutely cannot rely on that. Are there any other tools that you provide to your investor clients right away? Yeah. So another tool we provide them with is kind of a short-term rental calculator. Um, like you said, savvy investors usually have a, a handle on what it is that they're doing. And they, they have their own ways to run numbers, but running short-term rentals, as you know, is very different than any other investment calculator that you might have. So we share one with them so that they can do their own research on AirDNA or Price Labs. Um, and we also send all of our clients projections. Um, of course, with a disclaimer that that doesn't mean that's what they're going to make. Um, <laughs> we're just taking the data that we have and we investigate, uh, we encourage them to do their own due diligence. Um, on the numbers that we send and, and to verify everything. But I think having just that um, projection there for them is super helpful and giving them resources like calculators and in any type of an investor friendly agent, you want to be giving them as many resources as possible so that they can make the right decision. 
Absolutely. You have to come across as an authority in that market and in that actual specific short-term rentals. You have to know everything. Like I would attend, especially because they have all these meetings on Zoom usually. So you can attend all the different meetings of your city council. You can um, join short-term rental groups and get to know like both sides of the arguments. Um, there's plenty of communities that are very against short-term rentals. There are communities that are for them. In Palm Springs, like you said, there's several HOAs that allow them and some that don't. And since that has happened over the last few years, you end up with like a country club that is mainly short-term rentals and has a party vibe. And then everyone else moves to the HOAs that are quiet and don't allow rentals. But most of them do allow 30 days and over. So I pivoted towards midterm rentals. And when um, our team in Austin went to the short-term rental conference this summer, it was really cool to hear how short-term rental markets um pivot to midterm and now that there are so many traveling nurses and they get a stipend and they can pay a lot more like per 30 days than your standard renter it's typically easier to evict them kick them out and you have all the protection such as like what airbnb um provides but how is it where you are, do you guys have midterm rentals as well? Like, can you use your Airbnb or your VRBO 30 plus days? Does that help anybody? Yeah, totally. And I see that's where the market seems to be going. Midterm rentals are much less saturated than traditional short-term rentals or definitely much less saturated than long-term rentals. Uh, in Philadelphia, we've seen a huge uptick in those, especially we've kind of converted a lot of our short-term rentals into to medium term. Um, to try to capture those traveling nurses. Philadelphia itself has a ton of different hospitals, universities, a lot of reasons for people to be coming to town for three to six months who don't want to buy the furniture. So you get a huge advantage in listing on the medium term with traveling nurses with the stipends, with uh, workers and contractors coming into town that have those stipends, as, as well as other folks who might just need to be relocating and they got paid for relocating for their job, insurance companies um, to cover people who lost their house for a little bit. And you can make partnerships with companies who do that um, and just have renters lined up for when you are doing the medium term, which makes it really interesting. And I think that market is the most untapped for investors right now. So it's it's a good place to push your clients to be in. Yeah, I agree. Visalia is really, really great for that as well, because we have a huge community of well, we have tons of agriculture and there will be needs throughout the season for different specialists, but they're not going to be here year round. They travel to the different dairy farms or the different orchards and provide their expertise. So we have a lot of those. We have, for some reason, I should probably find out, a lot of traveling attorneys. I think we have a lot of attorneys that are just here for short amounts of time. And our healthcare district is huge. So I have a lot of people moving here to work for our hospitals and they just live here full time. And then others is just tons and tons of traveling nurses. Even if you are a traveling nurse and you plan to stay somewhere for over a year, 
there's some like caveat where they get paid as a traveling nurse and get that huge stipend. So a lot of them are taking Airbnbs and VRBO. What platforms are doing the best out there? So out here, I would say most of the reservations we have at this point, I've hosted over 25,000, um, which gives me a lot of credibility um, to kind of, again, put my money where my mouth is with hosting. Uh, For sure. And I would say that Airbnb is still one of the largest players in the space out here. About 60% reservations are, are through there. Um, VRBO is another huge one, of course, and, and uh, HomeAway. That franchise is pretty big. And then we also have a partnership with the Marriott, which gets us about 10% of bookings. And then the other 20% probably come through just manual reservations and word of mouth um, from myself and other people in the company pushing the manual reservations. Wow. Do you have anything that you manage where they rent out each separate room or do you just do entire places? So I had, I had started out doing entire room. Um, and I had never pushed any of my real estate clients to do that. I found that the whole house was a much easier way to manage it uh, and often more profitable. Like you don't, you don't have enough reward by the room out here at least to make it worthwhile um, versus just doing it as the entire house itself. Yeah, I would have never thought about renting room by room, but how I heard of Airbnb was way back when I was teaching and I had just moved to a new area and the sweetest lady um, asked if I wanted to rent out her casita and manage her house of all of her different rooms. And I was young and I was a broke teacher. So what was I going to say? But yes. And it was such an incredible experience and people would be doing yoga together in the living room. And we had people from all over the world and they would just share the different things they brought with them. And it was a really amazing experience. And then when I bought my first house, I put it on Airbnb and rented it like on the weekends. And I would go stay with my parents because I could barely afford that mortgage. And I'm so glad that I, you know, took the leap and bought that house because that, I mean, now the market skyrocketed. So I had a lot of money to pay off all my student loan debt, which never in my life did I imagine I could get out from under $135,000 of student loan debt. And I flipped a 400 square foot cabin. And this is a huge bonus I see with the short-term rental market is that like in the deserts, especially, we have a bunch of like rundown abandoned cabins all throughout the desert. Most of them are on five acres because with the Homestead Act, if you built a 400 square foot home, they would give you five acres. And then these were selling for like 10, 20, 30,000 back in 2020, you know, like a hundred years ago. And <laughs> Um, I flipped mine and made 60000 pure profit. I'm like, what? This is like what I make as a teacher. And I did this on one flip. Like, I'm sold. And then I just kept flipping houses with the intent of Airbnb. So we would furnish them, get five-star reviews, work out all the kinks, make sure it was like a very solid business plan and super successful, and then sold them as a business. And I see that's kind of where we run into 
issues that aren't super sustainable and why I understand people getting a little iffy about short-term rentals because you're using the benefits of a mortgage to buy a business. So in some instances, people have put 5% down. <laughs> in lots of instances, you do 10 or 20%, but I can't buy a business unless I sell or carry for that cheap. So I think short-term rental is just I like the easiest, best way to make money for our clients right out the gate. But now I've started pivoting to buying small businesses and improving them and bringing technology to them. Cody Sanchez talks about that a lot. How are your clients pivoting? Yeah, so it's interesting you bring up purchasing with a mortgage versus buying it as a business and how, how that differs. Um, I know markets like Nashville, you can get grandfathered in. Um, so those short-term rentals that were on the market, they can't. you can't sell the house because it can no longer short-term rent. You would lose the permit. But you can buy the LLC that owns the house, um, which is a way around the regulations. Uh, and out here, I... I think because the Poconos region is a traditional vacation market, it's it doesn't necessarily make homes less affordable because of the reason that you mentioned earlier, where some HOAs just kind of turn into HOAs that are more so short-term rentals um, and vacation homes, and other ones turn into HOAs where people live full-time. I think those types of issues are much harder to navigate in urban areas. Like you, can never, you can never make that happen in Philadelphia. There's not going to be one district that's short-term rentals and another that's not cities are just way too large and already have kind of city planning and zoning mapped out that they can just change the zoning requirements for short-term rentals as a, an easy fix. It's not the perfect fix, but it's a lot easier to do than it is in markets that cater to vacationers and short-term rentals and li their economies live off of it. So for me to, to pivot around that issue is just to be an agent in a traditional vacation market where you know the regulations they're there already. Um, if there's going to be any tweaks, they'll be minor, um, as opposed to getting into a major urban market where things can change. And you just have to be ready as an agent. If they are going to change, try to keep your ear to the ground. Yeah, you always have to be ready. I think being educated as an agent is the number one most important thing. Like Knowing your shit should be a requirement. And so many agents, like, don't know. Like you just get your license and think you show houses and that's it. But you need to know so, so much more, even just selling like, and traditionally just a normal single family residence that someone's going to live in for three years or five years or 50 years. Like there's so much you should know. And when you're doing short-term rentals, I'm assuming you have properties that are on well and on septic and on city sewer, and you probably have a lot more to navigate. And then you have a lot of people buying from out of the area. So you really have to know what you're doing. Right. I have a ton of buyers who are sight unseen. And the most important piece of advice I can give for that is disclose everything. Disclose, disclose, disclose. Treat it as if it's your own transaction. Like just make sure they're aware of every single thing that's happening um, and put your best foot forward. And for me, I noticed early on, um, even in my second year, I didn't sell a ton of houses, but I, I was probably close to as knowledgeable as I am now. Um, 
it's very difficult to spend time to, to learn the market. And that won't, that doesn't necessarily get you far enough because everyone knows as a real estate agent, prospecting is the number one thing that you have to do if you're going to make sales. Um, so you can't really prospect till you know everything. Otherwise you're, you're not going to end up in a position in a good position and you won't be doing the serving your clients the best. Um, so it's, it's really important to have the right routine to make sure you know everything that's going on, but are still spending enough time prospecting to get, get sales. Yeah, that's a tough balance. How do you prospect? Where do you find all your investor clients? Yeah. So at this point I would say I get a healthy amount of referrals. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast. Uh, I'm very active on Instagram. So I kind of have leads coming in, just trickling in from a bunch of different sources, um, which really helps me stay busy from a prospecting end. And what has helped me extensively is I have a team of four agents and all of us kind of pick up the slack where it's needed. So if we have a ton of prospects, but we don't have a ton of house prospects to sell to them, um, everyone kind of buckles down and, and goes and finds enough houses so that we have something to offer um, that makes the most sense. Uh, and everyone just kind of takes their share of what needs to be happening. So if, if a couple of people are focused on making sure the leads are coming in, um, then there's enough leads to go around. And there's other people running around finding the houses. There's other people running the numbers. Uh, and just having a team provides so much more than what you could do individually. I don't think any of us would sell nearly as much if we, we weren't doing that. That's really amazing. How did you start your team or what led you to expand that? And how do you keep it so cohesive? Yeah, so I would say it happened pretty naturally. Um, there were a couple of people who were interested in becoming agents um, after seeing what I was doing. And as I started to need help with different things, um, they slowly started to get licensed. And if I had too many leads and needed help, obviously I would give them leads as the team leader and they would kind of step up and help with finding the houses and vice versa. So I think when you develop a team that is all looking out for everyone's best interest and no one is, is trying to kind of gatekeep different things that need to happen to make the most sales, you're in a good spot. So you, you have to have the right culture. You have to have people who care about your success and you have to compare about, care about your team's success to really make it farther. What are your team splits? So we do a 70-30 up to a only a $15,000 cap. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty smooth. Um, we don't take a whole lot and it, it goes back to caring for, for the people you're working with and just trying to see the team succeed. Um, the, the way that you would end up making more outside of that on the team and that this goes for anyone on the team is if you're passing leads around, you do get a referral. Um, so even me as a team leader, after their split ends, uh, I would still get referrals and vice versa. If, if they're struggling to, to make the time, maybe they're a part-time agent, um, they can still just cultivate leads and, and pass them through the system. So it's it's really just trying to identify ways to make sure that whoever's putting effort in is getting rewarded for their effort, uh, whether they're putting a lot of time in or a little, and you can make as much or as little as you want based off of that. That's really awesome. Are you always this calm and chill? <laughs> um, I like to say it's definitely become more calm and chill. I have a very East Coast mindset, a go, 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 go. Um, I love caffeine. Um, so coffee is my best friend, but I did, uh, out of the last two years, and this might be the craziest part of the commissions that I've been bringing in. I've spent one year in Hawaii. Um, I'm not licensed in Hawaii. I still sell houses when I'm over in Hawaii. Uh, I have a place over there, but I feel like I resonate very well with the Hawaiian slower culture, um, of Island time. 
uh, but I still have that East Coast kick. So uh, I think I have been always chill, but it's definitely come out a little more with spending some time on the island. That is really cool. I was actually born in Honolulu, but just because my dad was, that was his first duty station. So as a Marine, he was stationed in Oahu and I was born in the pink hospital. And uh, my husband and I have a trip planned to Hawaii in a few months to celebrate his 40th birthday. But he went there so much when he worked as a contractor for the Navy, he would map all of their like Navy bases and he's really over Hawaii. I just can't even imagine. But of course he is way more excited about a personal vacation versus work, which I can understand. But yeah, I think they should work from Hawaii for a year. I think in now that the market is slowing down, we can all finally breathe. All the escrow officers and the lenders and agents that I talk to are like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad the market is slowing down because like, I personally, there's no way I ever want to sell 50 houses again. Like absolutely not, never, not in one year. Like, no, I'm so, so exhausted and <laughs> traumatized from the last two and a half years. How has your market changed lately? Yeah, it's definitely slowed down a lot. And I could see how you can get really caught up in just the go, go, go mentality of selling, setting up showings, um, just staying busy. Uh, and I think you bring up a great point. It, being busy is not always the dream that you had when you got into real estate. A lot of times you get into real estate so you can afford more money um, to do the things that you love and have more time freedom, have a flexible schedule. But when you're a top producer like you were, um, you end up losing all of your time and you end up a lot of, with a lot of money, but then you don't have any time to go enjoy it. Uh, and I think it's really important for people to take a step away uh, and find a way to sit back and think if that's what they really want and kind of control uh, the amount of sales that you're doing. And that's another reason I would point going to a team as a good idea if you feel that way, uh, because then you, you're not losing out on all of the business that you had. Your clients are still getting taken care of. Your reputation is still great. Uh, but you yourself can take a step away. Um, and it sounds like you would have been okay with making a little bit less money um, and having some some more time freedom. Absolutely. And at first, I mean, I really did have to make every single penny possible because I got my master's degree at Pepperdine, which is definitely not a cheap school. And I, you know, when I quit admin and went back into the classroom, I cut my salary in half which is how my real estate journey started because I made my husband back then. He wasn't my husband, obviously, but I made him sell his house, move in with me. So that way I could like keep my house and afford life and pay. I was paying, I think 800 and something dollars on student loans. So I didn't know how many houses I was selling. I never expected that I would even sell more than just my own personal flips. I had no idea how this journey would absolutely change my life in just two years. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And I wish, you know, hindsight, I should have been a lot more mindful and a lot more focused on my mental and physical health. But my phone was ringing off the hook 24 seven and I would have usually 10 to 12 escrows open at a time. 
And right now I actually only have one open escrow. So that's kind of scary on its own, but I haven't prospected or put any effort into this in like two years. So it's all my hard work paid off and it's trickling and carrying me through. I mean, we'll see what happens this next year, but I have lots and lots of marketing plans and so you have a YouTube channel and a podcast. Like, what else do you do to prospect? I'd say the the most important thing that I do, uh, because with with those platforms, that they're not really helpful unless you do have more human interaction. So attending a bunch of real estate meetups, and these are things that I like to do. Uh, I noticed this out when I was in when I was out in Hawaii. Um, they have this event called Deals in Aloha every month, where all of the investors on the island will show up to someone's flip. The person who flipped it will kind of like do a little presentation about the numbers, um, the before and afters, and just talk about their real estate investing journey. So the campfire effect, which keeps you kind of motivated, is just showing up to these things. Like being around other investors will get you motivated. Uh, and it also like as an agent, it's really important to go to those types of meetups because you meet investors from all over the place uh, and it really builds out your network, which then boosts all of your social following and the interactions that you get. Because it's it's important to have that human genuine interaction. Uh, I would say most most of your following will and most of your sales will be much easier to close if you have that as opposed to just uh, a random person off the Internet. Not that yeah, there's relation- so <laughs> right? Those are great too, but relationships really are everything and your network is your net worth. Like all those corny cliches I have found to be super true. I was just like on an island by myself. I was the only agent in my brokerage within a hundred miles my first like year. And um, now there's more of us, but even in my new market, there's, I don't even know if there are more than like two others in my actual city where I live, but it's so important to be intentional about your network as well. I feel like people, there's so many agents that get stuck on following all these trending people on social media and they attend so many webinars and just go down a rabbit hole of learning and just consuming tons of information. But I think it's great to start with all of that at first, but then you need to narrow down what really resonates with you and then take action because reading a billion books a year is going to be phenomenal for your knowledge and your brain power, but you have to like do something (laughs) with that knowledge instead of just getting oversaturated with everything that we have access to. Yeah, there's there's just so much content out there and there's there's meetups everywhere. There's there's so much that you can be doing as an agent. And I think that's the hardest thing is a lot of people get caught up on one rung of the ladder or the other. They're putting so much time into either knowing the market or they're putting so much time into learning social media and prospecting. Or they're just so focused on their own investments that they kind of get derailed from helping other people. And it's it's finding that right balance and that right routine to make sure you're serving all of those areas properly. Because like you said, you can read 100 books a year. I try to read as much as I can. But um, if I don't take time to actually take action on the items that I read in the book, or if I don't have people to, to conversate with about the things that I'm learning and about the market that I'm in, then you're you're just going to be stuck at zero. Yeah, that reminds me, 
you know, reminiscing about our mastermind in Austin and um, what Aaron says a lot is about, you know, the abundance mindset. And, you know, like, I just feel like the more you give, the more you get, like, and being the people that came to the mastermind uh, back in May were absolutely phenomenal. Like, those are people I will never, ever forget for the rest of my life. And I see them like all interacting on social media and I just think like, oh, well, that's so cool. Like, and a mastermind is a different opportunity than a conference because I feel like people are a lot more open and raw and honest and we can talk about our failures and it's not like hundreds or thousands of agents sitting and listening to one speaker. And of course, there's benefits to that as well. But a smaller network and having a mastermind and finding your tribe can just change everything. Yeah, masterminds can make a huge difference. Uh, And I really like how you spelled out that conferences are helpful, but they're a very different place to be attending. Um, I've gone to plenty of short-term rental conferences, which are fun and informative. But at the end of the day, I'm surrounded by other short-term rental operators, um, people that there's maybe one person in a room of a hundred that could be sold to, uh, whereas your network won't, will expand much further in a mastermind. Um, for me, what I've noticed, I've been to Ryan Pineda's mastermind out in Las Vegas. Uh, everyone at that mastermind is better at social media than I am. Uh, and just meeting people, adding them to the feed, like you, it kind of sharpens, sharpens your iron to be around so many people that are just so good at what they're doing. And these are wholesalers, um, they're property flippers. There's new, like luxury, new construction developers. There's people from all walks of life. So it's really interesting to see how they all kind of use the same social media tactics to just grow their audience and how that develops their career. Um, and I think that's something agents can do very well as well. That's a really, really smart point. Also, be intentional and <laughs> intentional about who you're meeting and who you're networking with. Like, of course, it's great to spend time with other agents and see what they're doing, what's working, what's not, and to grow that way. But you, if you want to niche down on investors, go to the investor meetups. Like, be humble and show that you're there to learn, but also, you know, carry yourself in a way that you do know what you're talking about and that you can attract these people to you. And we just have like an endless amount of opportunity these days. The world is so, I like just shrink so much. Like I feel super close to the agents that I know in Florida, especially there are people I meet with every single week are mostly all in Canada. And if we all end up at the same conference together or the same mastermind. Like I feel like close to them already and we're super transparent and we just talk about like what's working, what's not like what's wrong in your personal life. Like, are you eating well? Are you taking care of your mental and physical health? Because you are your business. So this stuff trickles and vice versa. If you're miserable in your business, like, chances are that's going to impact the personal relationships you have as well. 
Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And that goes back to the masterminds again. Like you actually care about those people and you don't see them as competition. You create much stronger bonds than you would at just a tr traditional conference. And I, health definitely has to come first in a lot of these scenarios. And I think it's cool that you brought that up as well. Yeah, mental health is my jam. I struggle <laughs> with uh, panic attacks. They're really bad. And I have um, like a... Well, my thyroid is bipolar, I think, but I was like officially diagnosed with Hashimoto's, but sometimes my thyroid is high, sometimes it's low, and sometimes like I just have massive panic attacks. Like in the middle of showings, I just am like, okay, I feel like I'm dying. I'm pretty sure my heart's going to explode. I feel like I'm sweating to death, but they're acting like everything's normal. Okay, cool. And I just have to like snap myself out of it and carry on. And a lot of times, I guess it's a good thing that my panic attacks happen at night. Like when I'm done with the day, I get to go, 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 go. And I was putting in like 12 and 16 hour days for like a solid two years. I highly, highly do not recommend that. Like I'll never do that again. I don't think my brain or my body will let me do that ever again. But I've had so many incredible people reach out to me to say like, thank you for keeping it real and being honest. I'm like, isn't everyone? But I guess they're not. So I think transparency and authenticity is really important. And I think the easiest thing to do is just be your damn self. Like just be yourself. And in real estate, we have so many avenues of success. So that's my other favorite thing is you can make your business exactly what you want it to be. And you've done that. And you're like so chill and zen and so successful. It's so amazing to see people making their dreams come true. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. I've definitely put in my my fair share of the 12 to 16 hour days. Uh, and I don't, I don't regret them, actually. I think it's really important uh, when you're kickstarting yourself to get ahead. And then, like you said, it's important to step back and, and realize that you're doing that and to question if that's what you still want to be doing um, so that you can find that balance as well. But your business is definitely a reflection of who you are. Um, your to me, like reputation is everything. Um, so it's, it's always more than just about selling a house. It's, it's about helping your clients get an investment that you would purchase yourself. It's about putting yourself in their shoes, uh, making every decision as if, it, as if it was your own and putting the commission aside. And if you're just helping as many people as you can, the commissions will follow. Um, and I think that's what my clients appreciate. The last three Zoom calls I got on with out-of-state investors, they had been kind of doing their own tours and just investigating a bunch of different markets. They've interviewed realtors in uh, the Smoky Mountains. They've checked out markets in Florida. Um, and usually within like 15 minutes of the phone call, they stop me to tell me that they're very thankful that they found me and that I just seem more real than everyone else has and more informative. Uh, but that's because I just love what I do. Um, I love the market that I'm in. I live in the market that I'm in. Um, I can I can personify it without like stretching the truth. And I can uh, be straight up with the returns that you get and highlight the returns that you'll get in other markets. Not that one is better than the other, but I think it's it's really helpful that I can just highlight why Florida might be a better market than the Poconos, and it all depends on the position that you're in. Um, I think every market has its place, um, and every investor has a different set of needs. Like some might be more uh, akin to cash flow, some might be more preferring of 
uh, trying to get an increase in equity and be in a market that doesn't cash flow. So their taxes aren't affected, but they can get the yeah. long-term wealth. Yeah, that's a really super smart point as well. And I'm having a lot of clients um, kind of diversifying their markets now. They put all their eggs in one basket, Joshua Tree, and <laughs> they are now you know, keeping some, like their most profitable, or they'll sell the homes that have the most equity, cash out, upgrade into a more expensive home in a different market, but the ROI is greater and the appreciation and the security away from over-regulation or like drastic changes in regulation. So diversifying, and especially in this changing economy, like diversifying in every single way <laughs> you possibly can is so critical right now. So if you, um, speaking of referrals, if you, I mean, listeners, truly, it's so important to connect with other agents that live in markets that are strong for short-term rentals because you can call Jonathan and say like, hey, I had this client I was showing around in Georgia. They want more ROI. Plus, they love the Poconos and they want to go chill there like three months out of the year. So you have to network and know what's going on. If you're a short-term rental agent, you have to know what's going on in your markets and like around the world or the country in many times, because um, and we all like post like, I have this killer deal. Like I have a listing right now in 29 Palms that um, has gone like seven days with no showings. And it's really not priced too high and they listen to me i love when sellers like listen <laughs> to me on listing price but selling an airbnb is a totally different beast so how do you handle your sellers and do they block off their calendar and allow showings do they just keep accepting a million different bookings and then you can never show their property how does it work yeah, that's a great question, and it's a really difficult topic to navigate uh, because most owners, they just don't want to block off the calendar. They want I to can't keep... blame them. <laughs> yeah, likewise. And I've, I've sold a couple houses myself that were short-term rentals, um, and it's, it is really tough to, to put yourself in position because most people want to do showings or you want to have open houses on weekends, which is when short-term rentals tend to bring in the most revenue. So a lot of times for us, what we'll try to do is, is maybe do every other weekend or have like a set weekend or two out of the month that we are going to open up the house um, and then try to keep the reservations coming in at, at other points in time. Uh, but it, it's tricky to navigate. And I think it does help to have kind of a balance because if you can honestly tell someone, sorry, you can't see it this weekend, but maybe during the week next week or next weekend, we can set something up. It kind of reassures them that the place is getting booked. Um, and it, it's, it helps like you want to show as much revenue as you can to sell a short-term rental um, and it's, unless you're just going to turn it off until you sell it, it gets pretty difficult. Yeah. I sold my short term rental earlier this year and my husband and I debated <laughs> about this all the time. I'm like, no, I still want to rent it. He said, no, like just leave it open. I don't want to clean it. I don't want to manage it and deal with like the stress of being a seller. 
I think being a seller is just as stressful as being a buyer. And when you're the agent representing yourself, it's uh, just a whole different layer of stress as well. But when I have sellers of Airbnbs, I think it's great to show that your place is still booked. And a lot of savvy buyers understand that and they appreciate that. And they'll make themselves available when the property is available. Or a lot of these people as investors aren't super like attached to the home. They're attached to the numbers. So if your photos are great and you, I think you have to have a virtual tour. You have to have the 360 degree virtual tour of the inside because you know you have to cut down on the amount of showings. So I've had a lot of times they buy them sight unseen because they're investors. They're not like they don't need to be in love. They need to be in love with the numbers. So as long as they know the layout, they know it makes sense. Of course, they have their inspection period. It You just have to hope your buyers are also savvy, I guess, when you're selling an Airbnb or short-term rental. Yeah, totally. And my team works with primarily buyers, which I know sounds crazy as a real estate agent. I would say 90% of our transactions are buyers. We have we have 10 in escrow right now, just all, all buyers, um, which is very different as you get further up. But whether you're working with a seller trying to sell or uh, an investor trying to purchase, um, the financials are so important. And the same way you want to give a buyer as much information as possible, whether it's if they're out of state, sending them video tours, um, trying to project the revenue. It's the same on the seller's end. A lot of times, uh, short-term rentals that don't have financials will struggle a little more. And as a buyer's agent, those are the properties you want to try to push investors towards if you know there's maybe a, an alternative reason that it's not performing. Maybe the house itself is great. The listing is great. Maybe the photos aren't great or the management that was running the short-term rental wasn't great. And you can see the true potential in the house. And I think as a, a listing agent, it would be very important to do the same thing. Like if, if you know that the house could be a great short-term rental, but you don't have the financials, you can be transparent about it and just say like, hey, we were actually using the house for a third of the year. Um, so this is why it made less. Or, hey, we weren't the best managers. We're, we're better at flipping houses than we are managing rentals. Um, so the, the rental numbers weren't as high as they could be. Um, the more information you can provide, to prospective buyers, it's it's better. And same with listing, the more information you can put in the listing that will give buyers a reason to purchase it, you're doing yourself a favor as a listing agent. Yeah, for sure. What's your average price point? So last year, average price point was probably about $450,000. This year, I'd say it's about, uh, well, I, I've had, I had one $5 million deal this year. So that kind of changed the, the total average, but uh, other than that, I would say around like 350000 And that's just because I switched from Philadelphia primarily to the Pocono region. Um, and that's why we get a lot of buyers in the Poconos is there are people looking in the Smokies or in Florida, um, even parts of Texas, whereas the, the Poconos, the average home price is only 270000 So it's just a much more affordable market. And I like what you said earlier about sharing referrals to realtors. My clients are looking for something very different. And if I have clients who are looking for something super expensive or a different style of vacation, like I refer to realtors at the new, uh, the Jersey Shore and Jersey Shore agents who know they have clients looking for like a mountain style home or something cheaper will refer over here because it's a more affordable vacation market. 
And I think that's something that can happen with, with any agent in short-term rentals. Like Joshua Tree is a cool place. Uh, it'd be great to have an agent out there to rely on for people who want to buy in Joshua Tree. And I think if you know your buyer and what they're looking for, um, you can pass those along with, with good success. Yeah, definitely. Having a great network and an informed network is really awesome. And I like to vet agents before I just refer them out. I don't just send my clients to anyone. I make sure I talk to them, try to talk to a few different. Of course, through real estate rock stars, I've met killer agents all over the country and like I know who my go-tos are. Like I know who I'm going to call in the Poconos in Philly. I mean, that's just <laughs> hands down. We're calling you. But agents, when you're sending referrals, please at least make sure the person you're refer referring your client to knows what they're doing because it just makes you look bad. I mean, you don't have to help your client find anyone, but taking advantage of referrals is like a little bit untapped, I think. A lot of agents don't realize that you should market to your clients that I know people all over the country, like let me help you find a good agent. And if they know, like, and trust you, then they will definitely take your word for it and just have a natural affinity for whoever you recommend to them. Totally. And you're not gonna be able to sell everyone the same product. Um, if you have a client who's looking for something different in a different market, it's much better that they trust you and you're able to try to help them. If, if you're not looking to help them, it kind of looks like you're only in it if there's something for you. Um, and that same person could have someone else who does want to buy in your market. So if you help them find the right, right agent in a different market and you take that time out of your day to do that for them, maybe you don't get paid on that transaction, um, whether whatever goes on with the other agent, but you just built more trust with that client who already knows you and can refer other people. So it, I think everything comes back to doing the right thing and putting other people first, and then you'll eventually uh, make up for it down the line. Yeah, for sure. Knowing your shit and being a good person. That's like the only two things and being yourself, be a good person, know your shit and like be yourself. That's it. That's all you got to do. And then everything will fall into place, I think. And you got to work hard. You really do have to put in those 12 and 16 hour days and hustle at first. But then if you're smart, not like me, you'll have automated systems and SOPs in place and things will just start working like clockwork. So, all right, tell us where we can find you, how the listeners can contact you. I'm sure they will love to speak more about all of your knowledge and listen to your podcast and go to your YouTube channel. So tell us all the deets. Yeah, sure. So uh, all of my social handles are live free with JD, um, which comes <laughs> from the idea of like financial freedom and being able to go to Hawaii for six months and come back. Um, I visited Joshua Tree a couple times myself. I really think it's important to have that balance. So live free with JD. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's Instagram, YouTube, and then the agents on my team have the, the same uh, trademark. So if you find me, you can find them. Um, it's Live Free and then their names. So we have a, an agent team called Live Free Listings, and that's, that's where you'll find us. That's amazing. Thank you so much for all of your time and all of your knowledge and insight. 
Thank you for all the light and love you spread in the world. It was so much fun talking to you. Uh, Stephanie, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was fun, fun recording with you here. Thank you. And thank you so much, listeners. We love you so much. Peace out, real estate rock stars. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.